reading from the Gospel according to John, the first verse, the first chapter, beginning with verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite, in him there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Y'all might want to come down here. You got time while I'm going down, if you hurry. (laughs) I could have told them that ahead of time. We're going to see if the blue screen goes away. And I'm going to show you three videos, and we're going to talk in between them. That sound good? A little bit different for me. Usually I just kind of like to hear myself talk, but we're going to let other people talk today. Um, See how that goes for me. One of them you've already seen, and it's funny. And I just want you, it's okay to laugh at these. And it's okay to let it make you feel uncomfortable because one of them might make you feel a little uncomfortable. And the last one, I think, will put us in touch with people like Nathaniel a little bit. And that's, that's what we're going to do. That sound good? We're going to touch the magic iPad and see what happens. We're going to put it in a passcode. All right, here we go. And there's no sound. Could have called that one. church with me? Oh, come on, Mrs. Edwards, you like my church. We have some hot music. 
It may not be what you're bumping at all, but it's hot. We get you down. What do you say, Mrs. Edwards? Oh, I suppose. I've heard it said that 80% of first-time church visitors come because someone personally invited them. All people need to feel loved and wanted, and for some people, it just takes having someone offer to give them a ride to church. We have something great going on at this church. People's lives are being transformed by God's love. Your homework this week is to find at least one person who could use a little more of that love and invite them to come with you next week. Trust me, it's worth the extra effort. Mrs. Edwards, you want to listen to some music on the way? Go ahead, your choice. So there's some interesting things in that, right? Right off, we assume that it's the young black man in the car playing the loud music, right? That's a cultural reinforcement for us. We assume that he's the one that's not going to be like the person he's inviting, right? We're going to assume that everything's going to be skewed from his direction. But what we find out is that he's the churchgoer. He's the one in love with Jesus who wants this other woman to come with him, right? That's really funny. The music stuff is funny, but you know the thing I find most odd about that video? She lives 70 yards from the church. (laughs) And people haven't invited her to church. That, dear ones, is the epidemic going on in our society. We have been taught that our faith is a private matter, haven't we? From an early age, you don't talk about politics or Jesus. Why were we taught that? Because it's easier to maintain our hold on our life if we don't get involved with Jesus. The same thing was true for Nathaniel, wasn't it? I'm not getting involved with some guy from some backwater town called Nazareth. What good can come from Nazareth? Philip is the young man in the Cadillac in this story, isn't he? He knows a person that needs to know what he knows. And what is it that he knows? He's found the Messiah. He's found the Savior. He's found the one that can deliver him from his sin and give him life. And he wants Mrs. Edwards to meet him. And where is it that he believes Mrs. Edwards can meet him? What do you think? Church, the one 50, 70 yards down the street. Are you guys aware how many people from our immediate community come to this church regularly? You count them on one hand. And my wife and my kid and I are three of them. And Nancy's the other one. Oh, wait, and the birches. I need two hands. You get the point? We live in that. Why? Why is that? I don't have the answer. But this video challenges me, and I thought of this video when I read this text, and we saw this video at something that Bobby and I were at, I think. No, Sarah? Yeah, good. <laughs> um, the first time, and I remember thinking, wow, you know, that's, that's a lot like our situation, but you know, that was the situation of the church I grew up in, too. Everybody was commuting to it, because they had forgotten that they had a community around them. 
They had forgotten that there were people sitting next door to the church that don't come. And it just kind of got to thinking that it was going to be that way. And I'm sure that somehow in your life, you have somebody that you've invited to church and they never come, right? But one of the things that he teaches us is that we don't want to give up. Don't give up, because he's been there before. and invited her before. Philip goes the first time, and we think, wow, that's how it should always be if a person's interested. But Philip doesn't go and say, hey, Nathaniel, do you know that you're going to hell? Did he? doesn't do that. You know, Philip goes to him and says, we found someone. Someone important. We just sang the song, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Do you love Jesus, church? Were you able to sing that with some truth in your heart? I love Jesus. I hope that's apparent. Um, not everything in my life says that sometimes, and I regret that deeply, but I, I love Christ, and I want people to know what I know about Jesus. And you know the funny thing to me? is when I watch other Christians and listen to other Christians talk, I hear more about college football than Jesus. You ever notice that? I hear more about politics than Jesus. Although Jesus is political. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, he doesn't have much good for us in there sometimes. I hear more about the NFL playoffs than about Jesus. So no wonder our neighbors think we don't care, Right? Not saying, I'm sure y'all all talk about Jesus all the time. But I feel a little convicted by that because I know sometimes Jesus isn't all I focus on. How often is his name on our lips in a good way? I told somebody one time that I was tired of hearing Jesus as a swear word more than a praise word. There's truth in that, you know? We turn to him in our time of need. And we forget that there was a time when we didn't know his name at all. But what happened to us? How did we get to be here? How did we get to know his name? Somebody called us. A parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a guardian, a friend, a cousin. Somebody said, you're going to church with me. They might not have said, I want you to come meet the Savior. They might not have known what to say. One commentator I read said on this text that one of the great comforts for the church today is we don't have to prove Christ. When we talk to somebody about Jesus, our job isn't to prove Christ to them. Our job is to say, hey, come meet this guy I know. Come meet this God I serve. And if they say, what good could come out of a Methodist church? What can you say? What did Philip say? Come and see. When you say... I want you to come and meet Jesus. And, and they say, oh, all, all you Jesus people are homophobes and haters. You have the prerogative to then say, well, come and see. Come find out. Come find out what we are. One of the things I encounter most often from unchurched people is pushback about how church people are, and I wonder how they know. <laughs> You don't come to my church. I shared with you all that this leadership thing has been pushing me to make some of my other gifts public and to share them. And so I've been going to these poetry reading things and reading some of my poems. And, you know, it's kind of odd to see how the people look when I'm reading them. But, you know, that's interesting. But they seem to like them. 
But one person that went before me read a poem. She was talking about how she went to church and she gave her $100 bill, but she was still sitting in the dark. And right then I wondered, does she really go to church? Because you know what would happen if one of y'all lost your power? Your men's club would get it turned back on, wouldn't they? And I told, I told that young woman when it was my turn, I got up and said, I don't, I don't know about your church, but my church will help you get your children lights and heat. So essentially what I said to her was, come and see. If you're going to level that kind of charge against us, come and see who we really are. Church is full of hypocrites. Yes, it is. But full of a bunch of people who want to grow in Christ's likeness and be different. But we've been taught to keep that quiet because it's not polite. It's a lie of the devil. The devil doesn't want us speaking Jesus' name to our neighbors. He doesn't want us telling our neighbors how I love Jesus. Sure don't want us singing it in the driveway. Last week I started to change the hymn and sing that hymn. And because it fit the text, but I wanted to bring it to this week because, dear ones, if we truly love Jesus, his name ought to be on our lips. Somebody said to me when I posted on Facebook, now great, now it's stuck in my head. <laughs> They've been singing it, and I thought, good. The more we sing that, the more we can get to the place where we can stop on our drive and say to Mrs. Edwards, come to church with me. She's 70 yards down the street. She's lonely. She doesn't know God loves her. But you know better, don't you, church? Let's see what else we got. It's called Awkward Easter. It's a very awkward video. Um, no. Huh? Well, over to the left. Okay. Need a photographer? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks. So where'd you guys go off to all dressed up this morning? Oh, uh, church. Easter services. How nice. How nice. What did your pastor preach about this morning at this, uh, church service? I'm sorry? Yeah, what was the sermon about? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, how he, uh, he, con he conquered death, right? You, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, and he uh, gave us, you know, life? Uh-huh. Abundantly? Huh. Interesting. Very interesting. Hey, you didn't think my wife and I need to hear about that this morning? That wasn't on your radar? No? Say cheese! So that one's obviously aimed at Easter services, right? The joke in, in, uh, in um, preacher circles is Easter and Christmas are the two Sundays you want to make sure you're there for. 
the Sunday after Christmas and the Sunday after Easter will bring you down and hurt your ego, so don't show up. (laughs) But why does it just have to be Easter when we're interested in seeing people come? Isn't every Sunday a little Easter? Aren't we here because Christ has been raised? Aren't we here because Philip was right? He's the Savior. Isn't that why we're here? Isn't that why we've been called here? Because he's alive? Because he's not dead? Because he is the Son of God? Because he is the Lord of life? Isn't that why we're here? It's not surely not to maintain buildings and, and pay a preacher, right? Surely that's not it. Surely it has to be because we've all had some kind of experience with the risen Christ that has shaped our lives in some way that we had to pay attention to it. And you might be in a place where you're first starting to hear that. Maybe you're in that place where you're first starting to think maybe there's something to this Jesus thing after all. That's what happened to Nathaniel, right? I saw you under the fig tree. I have some good news for you. Christ has called you and he called you just like you are. Not for the future you you will be. Not for who you will be when He's finished with you. He called you because of who you are right now. Before Philip called you, before Philip called you, I saw you. Jesus saw you before your grandmother brought you to church. He saw you before your neighbor shocked you with some story. Before you found out that some relative had cancer and that shocked you in the faith. Whatever it was that happened to you, Whoever it was you met, whoever it was that spoke to you, whoever it was you heard on the radio or the TV, or whatever book you read, Christ knew you before that happened to you and wanted you. But someone was appointed to get you, weren't they? Someone was appointed to call you into a deeper faith. There was a person whose purpose it was in this life to be your Philip. This family missed out on being that person for their neighbor because they didn't care if he heard that Jesus was raised or not. Well, now I'll tell you, that stings the preacher a little bit. we love Jesus, do we care if other people know about Him? That's a toughie, isn't it? Because you know, if we answer yes to that, it's going to require our time, it's going to require our money, it's going to require our service, it's going to require our witness, because that's what's going to unify us as a congregation, is the mission to make Jesus known. One of my favorite theologians is Leonard Sweet, writes cool stories. Um, said that he's a United Methodist pastor, by the way. And once, one time he was on an elevator and a bishop in our church got on the elevator with, him, elevator with him and said, Sweet, what's your vision for the church? And he said, Bishop, I don't have a vision, but I know the vision. Right? We sing that song, Be Thou My Vision. You know that one? Jesus is the vision we share. That the world can be different. That we don't have to give in to all the rhetoric that this is the best it will ever be. That all we can ever hope for is crazy violence and people who are self-interested. And teenagers eating laundry detergent. That things can be different. 
And I assume that you're here because you believe that. And someone was placed in your life to be a roadblock, a speed bump, an obstacle, a yield sign, a stop sign, or a turn here sign. And this family missed that because they went right by their neighbor's house and didn't care if they were there or not, right? Yes, what did well, you preach a sermon about? Oh, well, he conquered death. Well, didn't you think I'd like to hear that? It's a good question, isn't it? I wonder if our neighbors see us leave sometimes. I wonder, I wonder why they don't think I need to know what's going on, what they care about. Do you know that sometimes when I go see people that you all ask me to go see that aren't connected with the church, they're shocked? <laughs> That's sad, isn't it? Church has to do a better job of taking care of people outside the church so that the people outside the church won't believe the lie that the church is mean-spirited and doesn't care about people. I think this video does a good job of showing us what's happening in this text. Philip cared enough about Nathaniel to go to him and say, hey, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. I want you to meet him. It's time for the church to foster a care for the world again. To understand that the world is our mission and our vision is Jesus. What we're holding up before them is the Lord of life, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings. And you're armed with the greatest invitation ever. Come and see. Because just like the world was skeptical then, the world is skeptical now. And we can use that to our advantage when we talk about the things that our church says, well, why do you do that? One of the greatest examples of that I can give you happened here at this church. We gathered up blankets and stood in the Family Life Center parking lot and gave away about 40 blankets one day that you all brought in, bought, and gave us to give away. One of the last people who got a blanket was somebody from this neighborhood who asked, why are y'all doing this? Because it was shocking to him that the church would care about something other than itself. Now, we can blame the culture for changing, but that's a myth. The church left the culture out and blockaded it out. We built our little fortresses and hid it's not the culture's fault that the church seems to be under attack or whatever people say. It's the church's fault because we haven't been in the lives of people outside the church. Did you see that, that guy's concern? Did you see his, you know? It's almost like He's having this experience of he's contracted some mysterious flu that's killing everybody that gets it, and his neighbors know that around the block they can buy a special Gatorade that'll cure it, but they didn't tell him. Didn't you think I'd like to know that? This next video shows a guy wrestling with that, talking about how he needs us to invite him in. One of the hardest things people do is walk through the doors of a new place. Wondering if they'll ever belong. And one of the greatest things the church has to offer is belonging. And it's something that people are starving for today. A sense of belonging to something and someone. Let's see, what, let's see this one.
full. It's always full. And it'll be the same in your church, I promise. It'll be full. It'll be full of people like me. Full of people who haven't been to church in a while. Full of people who think they might be critiqued or analyzed or judged unfairly. Full of people who don't have God in their lives and aren't exactly sure how to get Him back. But you know what? Before I step in, I need you. I need you to do something that's probably a big deal for you. You're going to see me this week. And I need you not to walk past me. And I need you to work through your fear because I'm working through mine. And I just just need you to invite me in. And if I act like I'm not interested in going to church with you, still, I need you to ask me to come. I need you to help me see God. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I need you more than you know. Because look, at the end of the day, God said he loved me enough to die for me. That is the claim, right? And if he died and he didn't stay dead, your church will be full this weekend. Your church could be full this weekend with people just like me. Different face, different skin color, different age, sex, or social status. But make no mistake, I could be sitting right next to you. Just need you to invite me in, that's all. Nothing more, nothing less. And nothing complicated. And nothing driven by guilt. Just invite me in. I need you to. What did he need for someone to do? Invite me in. Have you ever had the experience of walking up to a circle of people who are laughing about something and talking and having fun? And then when you walk into the circle, what do they do? They stop talking. That kind of awkwardness is exactly what it's like for a person to come into a church the first time. It's hard. And the thing that's interesting to me is that when I started into the ministry and I was a 35-year-old man, I was sitting around a table with a district committee on ministry, and one of those people said, well, you're 35, you're married, and you got a kid to who you want right now, but by the time you're ordained, they won't want you anymore. You'll be too old. Because the myth used to be that if we had an energetic young pastor, he'll attract all kind of people to the church, right? And so the church blamed all the old pastors for the fact that it was dying. And then, and then the myth was, if we just had this kind of music, we could attract all kind of people to the church, right? Well, now that's turning out to be a myth after all. 
Because what attracts people to churches? Changed lives. And nothing else. Seeing a difference in the people. Most of the church growth gurus will say to you that if somebody decides they're going to come back to a church within the first 15 minutes of being there before the pastor ever says a word, that somehow in them they know whether or not they're going to give it another try. But that doesn't talk about how they get here in the first place. And the church is still struggling with attracting language. If you go to some of the things I go to, that's all that's ever taught. How do we attract people? Create new spaces to attract new people. There's some of the language that's used. But dear ones, if you don't invite people, we'll get tricklers, right? There'll be people who move here and come and visit us. There'll be people who who maybe were in church when they were young and then they come and they, they come to a church again. But to get those people who've never known Jesus at all, the invitation has to come from you. Nathaniel. Our district superintendent at a clergy meeting the other day was talking about professions of faith and talking about how important that part of our ministry is. And I wanted to stand up and yell, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because the church that's growing just by certificates of transfer isn't growing. It has more people in it, but there aren't new disciples. We celebrated eight, I think it was, this year. And that is awesome and incredible. But you're capable of more. I promise you, you are. You have an astounding ministry for a small church and great power in your witness and in your love. I have seen the heart of your young people around campfires and on their knees working on people's houses, which has shown me your heart because you formed them. Christ is visible here in the people here, in the body of Christ that meets and worships here. We can't have the excuse of saying, well, that's great, Pastor David, but you know, Philip knew that when he took Nathaniel over there, Jesus was actually going to be there and be visible. So let me ask you, church, is Jesus with Adna? Do you believe that Jesus is visible here? That the difference Christ makes in people's lives is visible here? I do. That guy needs you to talk to him. How else is it going to happen? Is he supposed to have Miss, uh, I can't remember her name, boy, I was Miss Trumbull. Is he supposed to have Miss Trumbull come to school and teach him the Bible like we did when I was a kid? It's not going to happen. Is he supposed to to get it from a president? From Congress? Is he supposed to get it from the mayor or you know the whether or not we have a, a manger scene downtown? Is he supposed to get it from traditions that the culture is turning his back on? Or is he supposed to get it from us? From me and you, individually, responsible. Because, dear, when somebody called you, and so I'm showing you these things today because I want you to ponder your own calling. 
Not your vocation, not that thing that Frederick Buechner says is where your gladness meets the world's need, but the fact that somebody called you to meet this Jesus. It didn't happen on its own. It might have been a parent, it might have been a friend, it might have been a relative, it might have been a pastor, it might have been some horrible person that hurt you so much that you know a church was a safe place to hide. I don't know, but you know. And the fact that you're here means that that happened for you, that someone called you. And I believe that if we'll ponder our own calling, if we'll ponder the fact that God used somebody like Philip in our lives to get us before Christ so we could say, you're the Son of God, the King of Israel. Maybe that'll impact our heart enough to desire to tell other people the same. story came back to me two and a half months ago. New kid at school was invited to church by one of our children. I was so proud. God, it's who we got to be. It's who the world needs us to be. People like that guy. Like Mrs. Edwards. People who need the community and the love and the forgiveness that you experience here. Ponder your calling, church. Think about who it was that got you to where you are. And ask yourself, who's waiting for me to speak? Who is it that's waiting for me to call and say, can I come pick you up Sunday morning? Will you go to church with me? Who's waiting to hear the difference that Jesus has made in your life? Who's waiting to hear the difference that being part of Adney United Methodist Church makes in your life? And then when they saw nothing good can come from Adna, what can you say? Come and see. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Rejection hurts, but you know what? Somebody will just reject you over something else. It might as well be over Jesus. Ponder your calling. And think about who it is that needs for you to call them. And say, I've found the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord God, we are your church. We are your people. We are your voice, your body, your hands, your feet, as your saints have taught us. Use us, Lord. Take away our fear. Take away our phobia. Take away the teaching from our heart that has said that our faith is a private matter. And replace it, Lord, with a desire to share it, to sing it, to shout it from the rooftop. In Sunday school this morning, we heard about that group of people who first gathered to rebuild your temple. About how their shouts and their singing and their praises rang across the land. Lord, help us to carry that sound out of this building. To carry the vibrations of the good news of Jesus out of this building and into the ears of our friends and our enemies. 
We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together Amazing Grace.